0: And we will continue in God's word this morning as they are as well in Bridge Kids. Let me pray before we get going. If you don't know who I am, uh, my name is Adam. Uh, I'm one of our leaders here in the church, and it is my pleasure. I love uh, being in this church. It is a joy to be up here um, along with a burden. It is, uh, I feel a little heavy this morning, so you can pray for me as we pray together. And we will continue in the text. Lord, thank you for giving us um, everything. Thank you for giving us um, a warm building this morning and clothes to put on. And Wisconsin in February is a grace, God. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve what we have. So thank you for giving us what we do have. And I pray that you would provide power as, as we sang in, in one of those songs, and you would provide me um, words to say that would be yours and not mine. Amen. Okay, let me do this so I don't take three hours of your time. Time management is one of my goals for this year. All right, Olympics, competition. We're in the thick of the Olympics, and I love the Olympics. I'm going to talk about that a little bit today, and it relates to our text. Uh, we're going to be going through Romans 3, starting in verse 21. That mic might be a little hot because I might speak louder than this right now uh, by the time we're all done. The Olympics are a time that only come around once in a while, but of course, like sports and you know, performance and um, the way that we even have our kids in sports, like this is a thing that we do in our lives, especially in America. We compete. Right? And, and every time the Olympics comes around, I'm reminded on how many different kinds of um, competitions there are, how many different kinds of sports. There's, I mean, we were having a discussion in our house about the difference between the luge and the skeleton are, you're going down face first for one, you're going on your back for the other. It's just There's a lot out there. And we can essentially take anything and turn it into a competition. Forget about the Olympics, where it's very clear you know, that they're competing. Um, my wife and I watched a show on Netflix called We Are the Champions. It's a documentary about oddball competitions, and it's fascinating. The first episode, I forget the, uh, the country, it's, it goes back hundreds of years where they have this weekend every year, and they essentially go to the top of this hill that's very steep, like steeper than most ski hills. And it takes about, you know, if you were to hike up the hill, it might take five, six minutes. If you were to run down the hill, it's going to take 20 to 30 seconds because it's very steep. And they take a wheel of cheese, and they, you can't start running. It's a race. You've got to run down the hill. You can't start running until someone pushes the wheel of cheese down the hill, and you're supposed to beat the wheel of cheese to the bottom. It's Weird, but we as humans take this and go, I think I can do that better than that person. I think I can not just beat my fellow competitors, I can beat cheese. I can take my performance and do something with it, right? And and then people turn it into this whole festivity, and it becomes about the performance, about the cheese-beating weekend. It is, We'll, we'll take anything. Like, the simple, I'll bet I can do this better than you. That's in the human heart. And and competition is great. Like, I I have had that in my life. Kids are in sports. Like, it's not a bad thing to compete. See where you're at. What, you know, it's fine. But we do tend to take it too far. We tend to take our performance, especially in America and where we can actually have the luxury of performing, we could take our performance and attach it to who we are, right? And we're going to talk about who we are. What makes us right? What is righteousness? What puts us in good standing? Because as I watched the Olympics, and I, I remember going to like high school basketball games. I was not on the basketball team, but I was in the stands. And the cheers would start, right? And there's this killer slam or uh, an awesome play that's made by someone else. And one side would go nuts. And that was their rightness. They had the right, they had the right standing to go nuts because of the performance. And then every once in a while, there'll be a good, a good play like that. And the other, the other side would go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you think you're in right standing because of that performance, but this is my favorite chant. Scoreboard, right? You might have just drained that three, or you might have done the cool slam dunk alley-oop, but we're now going to chant scoreboard, because our rightness and our right stand, we can do that because we are beating your team by 10 points or 50 points or whatever. We're going to chant scoreboard. And this is what the human heart does. It takes a performance. It takes some measurement of our rules. I mean, we turned cheese going down a hill into some kind of rule performance competition. So we can take anything and have boundaries on it and measure ourselves. And Romans blows that apart. It completely blows it apart. Okay? Let's look at Romans 3. Verse 21 is where I'll start here in a second. But as we get here, this is a meaty paragraph. Six verses. I've got one week. It's gonna feel maybe a little fast because you could certainly preach a whole sermon or a message on each one of these verses. This has been considered the greatest paragraph in the Bible by some. I think it's a fantastic place to land And it's where I've landed in the last couple months to reveal my unbelief. Okay? I've been a Christian over 30 years, and I still will come to this and go, I need God's help to understand this and to to see where I've been failing, but to see where God is good. Okay? So this, this is not... An exercise in just theology. We're going to talk about things like righteousness, justification. Okay, what does it mean to be justified? There's a word in one of these verses that's propitiation. And I, I want us to be aware that these things matter in our everyday life. They're not just far off ideas that we should, you know, kind of keep quiet or, or maybe bicker at, bicker about every once in a while. These are things that impact how I talk to my wife when I feel unjustified. I went to a, uh, a, a bridge-building event where we had a bunch of uh, married couples over the, over the uh, I think it was in January. It was great. You have, what, eight, nine, ten married couples in the room. Some of them have been married for a few months. Some of them have been married for over 40 years. And we get talking about what's going on and how you know winter in Wisconsin can be tough and there's a season of COVID and and like life is hard sometimes. And the one thing that was consistent as we were sharing things, because everyone's everyone's wedding day was different. Someone got married in Vegas, someone didn't, like, everyone's been married a different amount. There were all these different couples in the room, right? And their stories are different than ours. But there's one thing that stuck out to me, very similar everyone was talking about communication. That loaded word, communication. We don't communicate as well as we want to. And I and my wife are there as well. And I started thinking, like, we struggle with communication. Like, sometimes it literally is. Someone gave an example. This was not my example. Someone gave an example. I literally didn't hear what someone else said. I was in the other room. I didn't hear it. You know, and there's, there's a breakdown some, sometimes where you don't hear it. But then there's also under the same framework of broken communication, there's misplaced righteousness, and self-justification, and misbelief in the good gospel of Romans. And that's, that's... I'm there all the time. I want you to know that this has theological implications, this has cultural implications with the lies that we're being fed about what makes us right. What puts you in right standing? Is it how good you are at your job? Is it because we stayed out of jail? What puts us in right... St- what is right? What is rightness? What is our righteousness? And who declares us right? This has not just cultural implications. This has... Pers- I mean, if I struggle with this, with the person I love the most, my wife, and I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. That's laughable. This week, our car isn't working too well because our battery's dead. I bought a battery a, a, a year ago. It's not doing well. And the battery is preventing us from driving that car. And she simply said, after she had to drive me around town a couple times, like very objective, good question, good tone, the whole nine yards. What's the plan for getting the car fixed? And I attach that question, which is a fair question, to my rightness. Oh, did you say, did you say, what's the plan because I'm failing at the current plan? Are you asking if I've done everything right? Are you asking what the plan is because you don't think I'm right in what we've currently done, and I now need to prove and declare that I'm right? This is righteousness. This is self-justification. I've attached a simple question to my good standing and it will fracture relationships and it's what i struggle with the most for those of you that know me well you probably already sense it sometimes i love to be right i love to be declared right and i love to show you why i'm right and those three things are what we're going to talk about today those three things are what we're going to talk about today god has a totally different framework for us and maybe i'm the only one in the room that does that So that's why I've picked this passage, because I'm failing at it sometimes. And I think it's good for us to go back to the most important paragraph in the Bible. All right. Slide three. We've got our first verses here. Romans 3, 21 through 26. We're going to take two verses kind of at a time here on each slide, and we're going to walk through. Here we go. Romans 3, 21. But now, which is actually significant, Paul's talking to the Romans and, and uh, there's this new era after Christ has died, risen, and gone to heaven. So, but now things are different. But now the righteousness of God, the rightness of God, His goodness, the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So, just let's apart from the law. I thought we're humans. That's scary. Apart from the law, you mean I can't measure myself concretely? I love those, uh, I I love the the, the sports in the Olympics that are very concrete. They don't have judges. It's like the skeleton or the bobsled. You have a easy way to see who wins. It's measurable. They went faster than the other person. There's no judgment. There's no gray area for someone to mess it up with a bad judgment, right? This is the human heart. I want to be able to measure myself and know when I'm right. So this is a little bit of different news. Because God used to relate to his chosen people. In the Old Testament, there's there's a promise, right? There's a promise that he will have a people, and the law is important. Don't get me wrong. We, We need to not get rid of the law. And Romans 1, 2, and 3, up until this part, has been talking about the law. How do we measure up to to what God says is good? We're not doing very well. But now it comes, and this is kind of a turning point in Romans. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. Apart from the law. So this makes us a little nervous sometimes. There's something else. That's my only point in this. There's something else besides the law, besides the rules, that God will put us in good standing. And we know this. We see this. Right now, we're talking about our rightness with him. We've had three kids, and we've brought... It kind of struck me this, uh, this week. We've actually brought them home to three different houses. We've moved a lot. So our first kid, we brought home to a small apartment in Virginia. Our second kid, to a house in Iowa. Our third kid, same city in Iowa, but different house. We brought them home to each house. And they are born and completely unable to follow the house rules. I mean, we bring them home from the hospital, and what we didn't do is put them on the doorstep and go, in this house there's rules. And for things to operate well, for your own good, we'd like you to follow the rules. And the lawn needs mowing, and there's chores to do, and you can have good standing with us, and you can come on in the house when you mow the lawn. They are co- that's laughable, right? They are completely unable to fulfill the law. Do we get rid of it? No. The law is there. It's good. Let's just go back one verse. One of the purposes of the law is to show God's goodness and to reveal how we can actually measure up. It sounds kind of backwards in verse 24. By works of the law, no human being will be justified in this sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. We've got house rules, and it's evident. It's clear that baby cannot follow the rules. Do I want them to follow the rules when they're able? Sure. Absolutely. Now that they are able, do we have consequences when they they don't? Sure. Is it touching their acceptance and their right standing as as my son or my daughter? Absolutely not. That standing, that relationship, father-son, mother-son, mother-daughter, father-daughter, those relationships are set. And it's by nothing that they did. It's been from day one. So, so we gotta, we got to remember what we're talking about here in this paragraph. We're not talking about getting rid of the law. In fact, the human heart goes, okay, well, your good standing with God has nothing to do with the law, so let's just get rid of it. So grace may abound. There's verses in there, and Paul addresses that. That's where our thinking goes, because I go, oh, I can get away with stuff. I can break the law, and I'm still a child of God. Let's talk about that. All right. For now, the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. That's important, too. Everything in the Old Testament, all of God's promises, have been pointing to the new covenant and Christ coming to fulfill the law. Romans 4 gets into a lot more of that. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Okay, we're going to kind of table that, although that's the most important part. Okay, big picture on this slide. God's goodness and our right standing, our righteousness, is not because of what we do. It's something else, and it has to do with Jesus. Okay, it's something else, and it has to do with Jesus. Let's go to the next slide. We could... Take this slide, these two verses, and I believe the whole gospel is right here. Verse 23 and 24. I think the first couple verses get us to a point where we can just... I mean, usually when we walk the Romans road and go through the gospel, even with a 5-year-old, a 6-year-old, a 50-year-old, a 90-year-old, whoever, Romans 3.23 can be a good starting place. Okay? The full gospel is on the slide right now. 23 and 24. 24. All have sinned, there is no distinction, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So it ends with something to do with Christ Jesus again. Let's think about these kind of together, but let's, let's take 21 alone here. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you've grown up in the church, you've heard this. We, we actually had it on the slide last week. Jerry used it as part of his, uh, his message last week. It's, it's evident. All have sinned. Ro- I mean, Romans 1, 2, and 3 is essentially an indictment on the human heart. We've all sinned. There's a couple ways to think about this. And I want to be careful For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What does that mean? What does it mean to fall short? You could think of that in a couple different ways, and I think one is more helpful and more biblical, and we'll see that in a different verse. You could think of, well, I'm just not as good as Jesus. We're all born, and I'm trying my best, but this sin thing is me falling short. God's got a certain amount of glory, right? We fall short of the glory of God. God has glory I'm kind of like trying to be better, and I'm just not doing it good enough. So let's just keep cranking out the law and try to do better at the rules. And it's not our posture. Our natural, normal posture, apart from God, is revealed a little bit better, and this is an easy way to remember. Verse 323 is helped and clarified, go back two chapters, in Chapter 1, verse 23. So 323, if you turn back one or two pages, is helped by 123. Our, now we got to get this. We have to if we all fall short and have sin, we got to know what is sin? It begs the question. What is sin? Is sin cheating on your taxes? Is sin your criminal record? Is sin not being able to hold a job? Is sin? Anger, I mean, all of these things could be overlapping with sinful hearts. And the way that Jesus talks about sin, when he's asked about sin, he goes to the heart. And Romans 1.23 helps Romans 3.23. Claiming to be wise, we became fools and did an exchange. We exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. And birds and animals and creepy things. That's kind of a weird way to say it. We've made an exchange for the immortal God, the creator, with the creation. He reiterates this two verses later. This exchange that we've done. We've done an exchange. We've seen God and said, no, thank you. I'll take this other thing. Verse 25. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen this is helpful for me to to know my sin, know my state, okay? And when I became aware of all my sin, and I probably don't know it all, when I became aware of how God talks about sin, it's a little overwhelming because it can be in the good-looking things in my life. It can be everywhere. We're talking about exchanging God for the creation, the creator for the creation. So let's think about how that, how that might look. I mean, of course, everyone agrees that murder is sin. Why, why might you murder? Because you've got covetousness, you've got something in your heart, someone has something that you need, so maybe you stole, stealing is sin. But that's part of the creation, and maybe you think you're going to get caught, so now you need to... Get rid of the evidence. I mean, you could just trace it back, but it's trailing back to trading something out for God. We can do this with good-looking things, like bobsledding. (laughs) We can trade a good thing, like figure skating and bobsledding and running marathons and competing in a cheese race, and you attach it to your identity, and that becomes who you are. Because your performance is now who you are. And you've traded God for creation. If one of those things goes away, or have you gone away? We can do this with kids. We can do this with good things. We can do this with ministry. I can do this right now to get my approval from you that I'm doing a decent job at speaking. And I fight it. We have to have a category of sin that says, I care about what God cares about, and I don't want to trade that for something good. Putting good things in the place of God is sin, and sometimes we don't even know our own hearts, and we've kind of got, we got these competing affections, right? So we need to be in community and be honest and have people hold us accountable. When you did, I'm not saying don't have kids. I've got kids, right? Right? I'm not saying don't do these things. Don't, don't compete. Compete. As soon as you put that in a place in your life that you exchange it for God, which could just mean forgetting about God. It could mean forgetting about God. It doesn't have to mean you go murder someone or lie. You know how tempting it is for me to just be middle class and do the American Dream retirement thing and have my kids stay out of jail? Is that the goal? Is that what God calls us to? To coast and forget about God and not go into debt and have your kids college, get them a decent job. Stay out of jail. Middle class, I mean, I don't want to be more than middle class. I don't want to be less than middle class. I don't want to flirt with the prosperity gospel or the poverty gospel. I just want to be able to pay the bills, go on vacation. And do the American thing. That's so tempting. And we might not be challenged. If, you, if We might not ever be challenged on that lifestyle. You'll be challenged on a lifestyle that says, I'm going to go cheat on my wife. Or I'm going to go murder someone. You'll probably be challenged on that. Will we be challenged when we trade out good things for God? Now there's a temptation here to, to overanalyze everything. And get rid of all the good things in our life. Don't do that. Don't do that. We constantly need to put the right things in the right place. And all I'm saying with Romans 3.23 is sin can be everywhere. Our God can be our comfort. Our God can be ourselves. Our God can be other people's approval. And so you speak in a way or you hide the truth or you don't say the truth or you say something in a certain way, and you bring it up in an email and, you, and you, you know, you want, you're kind of engineering the conversation to show them that you're right and eventually have them declare you right and eventually, if you need to, show that you're right. Present the evidence and point to the scoreboard like I do in my best relationships. This is challenging for me. This is challenging for me to have my rightness, my righteousness come only from God. Okay. There's good news, by the way. This is... This is difficult. All have sinned. All have sinned. Verse 24 is much better. (laughs) That's why this this pairing here, these two verses, give us the the bad news first of our condition, which we need to know. It's helpful for someone that's sick in a very bad diagnosis to know the diagnosis so we can move onward with the solution. Yeah? We don't want to pretend like someone that has cancer has a cold. Because those solutions... And those medicines are totally different. The treatment is different when you know the right diagnosis. And verse 23 helps us. It's a good verse to know that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's a good verse in chapter 1, verse 23, to know the condition of sin is not just cheating on your taxes. It's not just staying out of jail. It's your heart condition to say, no, thank you, God. I don't want you in this area of my life, even though this area of my life will never be challenged because it's socially acceptable. These are the hard sins that Americans struggle with. Absolutely. We take something and we put it on our identity. Political preference, what we do here, I'm trying to like win arguments and debates with how I run my lifestyle. Parenting our methods that the Bible doesn't even talk about. The Bible gives us direction on principles and how to honor God. And somehow we've got these convictions and strong opinions about how to do this with our iPhone. The iPhone isn't in the Bible. How we spend our time, what we put our eyes on is in the Bible. We need to be able to be discerning and have grace for one another when we're not right. This is hard. Verse 24, let's get some good news here. Verse 24 shows us this. So quickly, after the diagnosis, so quickly, Paul talks about the good news all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified. We're going to talk about that word. Are justified by His grace as a gift. Scoreboard, not in the verse. By His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. This is such good news. This is the news we've maybe thought, been brought up in the church. You hear this, it's about Jesus took our sin. We're going to talk about that in the next verses. But let's just look at this word justified. Justified is a very, very close word to righteousness. Remember, I want to be right. I want to have right standing. And we all do. And I want to be declared right. That's justification. I want to be said that I'm right. And I can pervert that and have other people... I want it from other people... But the human heart wants to be right, it wants to be declared right, and that's not a bad thing when it's coming from the right source. We want to be declared right, we want to be on the winning team. Super Bowl today, what happens when the final score is done? All the fans, even though they've never stepped foot on the field, have this whole thing, you know the Bengals win let's say, I mean obviously it's not the Packers, right? The Packers are gone. After we lost that game, we, I just said we, as if I'm on the team. That's coming from this. We want to be on the winning team. We want to be declared right, even though we didn't do anything. With football, with arguments, with a 100 other things, usually it's because of what the the scoreboard looks like. That will happen today. That winning team and all those fans will have a little bit more confidence to just celebrate well. And that's not a bad thing, but it's been it's because they've been declared right. They're declared correct because of the scoreboard. We're declared correct because of something else. are justified by his grace as a gift. I might need to turn the page real quick. Chapter 4 verses 4 and 5 are very helpful for this. Okay? Now to the one who works for his justification, to the one who puts his scoreboard in front of God, to the one who says, I've done this, to the one who works for his wages, now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but his due. That's a different relationship with God. Say, God, I'm doing this stuff over here so I can be in right standing with you. And he says... Your wages are what you're owed, right? When you do a good job at work, you're owed wages. Wages are what you're owed. Yeah, his wages are not counted as a gift. You want to earn stuff with God? You want your wages from God? His wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. The wages of sin is death. Wages is not a good thing in this context. This is not God looking for employees. This is not God looking for people to work for him. This is welfare. God says, I have help available to you. You can't do it on your own. Here it is. Verse 5. And to the one who does not count work, the one who does not work for their justification, but believes... We do have human actions in this interaction, by the way. We believe in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith, belief in faith, not works, his faith is counted as righteousness. This is the difference. This is the difference. Let's take this into our human relationships. If we want to mirror God and be like Jesus, if I can put up a relational paradigm that's more works based with my own wife couldn't i do that with people i disagree with and i'm annoyed with i mean our our human relationships are going to either slip into what god does or what our human heart naturally does which is to look at the scoreboard i've literally counted what i've done when it comes to emptying the dishwasher Because we have arguments about who's doing what. And my justification and my rightness is at stake. And I'm going to present the evidence. I'm going to show my work so I can be not just right, but declared right. This is perverted. This is not how God operates. This will fracture marriages. If we do this with the people we love, What hope is there for the people that are lost, that disagree with us about everything? We're called to be loving and God-like to them. So what I want to do is to continue to go, okay, it's not about our works. What is it about? We've heard this name, Jesus Christ. There's redemption through Jesus. What does Jesus have to do with this? Okay? What does Jesus have to do with this? Back to verse 24 in, in, uh, in our text here. We're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Which means your sin is gone. Your sin is erased through Jesus. Now, I grew up in the church, and I've been hearing this, and we can pass over this. And we're going to get to verse 25 and 26 to give us a little context about what Jesus is what role Jesus has in this. Because it can be really easy to say, yeah, Christianity means your sin is forgiven. And I don't disagree with that. It's great news. Your sin is gone. Absolutely. Your sin is put on Jesus. What does that mean? This is not light. This is not light. God's God's justice is at stake here. Is that right? There's sin and there's a holy God. And they don't mesh well. God cannot be around sin for eternity. He will, he's angry at sin. There's a righteous wrath against all sinfulness. And so to think of our forgiveness as just something that we eliminate. It's gone. Don't think about that happening. Just never mind. Never mind. Sin. Out the back door. That's my mulligan. Forgiveness is real. But God's justice is also real and we need to know what kind of debt what payment what did jesus actually do because removing consequence removing wrath removing his anger from sin if that's all that there is it's a pretty pretty bad judge terrible judge and 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 this is plain this is plain we like to think of forgiveness of sin when we're thinking about our sin grace for me Grace for me, judgment for others. Judgment is good. Judgment is good in the right context. Let me me draw this out a little bit. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from the works. This is right after Paul says that whoever believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Okay, Just as David in the Old Testament spoke of this, as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from the works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. That sounds like good news. And whose sins are covered. Sin gone. Thumbs up. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Not count his sin. I love that if we're talking about me. God's justice is at stake if we just say, sin goes poof. It's not how it works. Jesus is here somewhere. I mean, this is David. David, how can you say that? David was the king, and he saw a woman he wanted, and he wanted her, and so he got her because he's the king, and he impregnated Bathsheba. And then he's trying to fix all of his problems and killed her husband. And now he gets to just say sin goes poof. Imagine you're the father of Bathsheba. Would there not be a good anger towards what just happened? Oh, this guy just uh, this guy just gets to be king and sin is forgiven? Sin is forgiven. sin is forgiven. There's wrath against the sin of David. Where is that wrath? It's not against David. David is in good standing with God. We need to see Jesus' rule here. This is heavy. Because no judge in Eau Claire County would stand up to that. There's been sexual abuse and there's been murder and they got off the stand. And what gives? They'd be impeached. That's a bad judge if the consequence just disappears. Sin without consequence is not complete. Sin without consequence is not good. There's sin, and there's consequence of sin. That's why we take our babies home from the hospital, and we don't just get rid of the rules. There are rules. There are consequences, but who takes it? This is helpful for me not just to see my right standing, because I might just abuse that right standing, but when I see Jesus' roll in these last two verses, and we'll end with this, it starts to be more clear. Sin matters to God. It was a heavy price to pay. Let's go to the last slide here. What, is this? what does this all mean for Jesus? We keep coming to the end of these verses and saying, no, 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 it's not about your works, it's through the redemption of Jesus Christ. No, 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 it's not about fulfilling the law. Your righteousness doesn't come from the law. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. What does Jesus have to do with this story? Verse 25. I'll bring in the end part of verse 24 here. We're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. That's a long word. It starts with a P, propitiation. Propitiation. Okay? I want us to know that this matters in how I struggle with my sin in 2022. This is not some theological term that we're going to throw out once every six months and, and not think about. Propitiation is the satisfaction of God's wrath. There's sin, and there's righteous, good anger towards that sin, and that sin needs to be dealt with, and Jesus took it. He didn't just die on the cross as another man. As an example for how we should live our lives, he took our wrath. He took our wrath. This is heavy. This helps me not sin in, today, in today's day and age. This helps me with my sanctification. It has nothing to do, like being better, has nothing to do with your standing with God, with your actions, but it does, it does translate to by the rules. The rules are good. God's law is good. I want to follow the law. Not for my own own standing with him, but for, well, there's a lot of reasons. Out of respect for Jesus who took my punishment, number one. And there are a ton of different implications when we follow God's way and not not our way. We're not promised a perfect life, but there is a design that's helpful. There are rules in place for us to follow. Okay, let's let's wrap up here. I, I, I want us to dwell a little bit, I want us to finish knowing the gravity of Jesus' death. It's not just a martyr's death. It's not just a martyr's death that took place a long time ago and we can kind of like, you know, key off of for how to be bold and how to be, you know, just more... I don't know, like, more bold in our faith. We should maybe be, be able to be a martyr if someone questions. Like, listen to this. This is Christopher Love's death. Sometimes I think we, we, we put Jesus in the same category as other people that have died for their faith. This is Christopher Love. He was speaking out against the church of England, or excuse me, the state of England, because he was holding to his convictions and, and these relationships between state and church, and he was preaching the gospel, and he got put on death row. He got killed for his faith. He's a martyr at age 33. His wife had a child on the way that's going to be born 13 days after he was killed. The couple had five children, one of whom was born only 13 days after. Three of these children died as babies or small children, and only two of them lived to be adults. This is a hard life. This is in the 1600s. This is a martyr that went to the gallows rejoicing and singing. He was so secure in his rightness with God that he was able to sing to the gallows. His wife applauded him as they took him there and said, Today they will sever you from your physical head, but they cannot sever you from your spiritual head. I mean, that's not the American dream. He was in prison before that. Is our dream to have our kids not go to prison? Is our dream to hold a job? He's failing at that. Jesus, failing at that. Martin Luther King Jr., failing as a criminal record. He went to jail for a great reason. Paul failed. If that's our standard. I could read more about this, but my only point in bringing Christopher up, it's different than Jesus' last days. Jesus was sweating blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. I mean, we could, we could read verses in, in all, in three out of four Gospels, talks about Jesus going to God, the Father, and saying, if there's a way to remove this cup, this cup of what? What cup is Jesus talking about? The cup of God's wrath. Christopher Love's last words were, I am full of joy and peace in believing. I lay down with the word with a world of comfort as if I were to lie down in my own bed. He said that as he put his head on the gallows. Blessed be God for Jesus Christ. I am full of joy and comfort as my heart can ever hold. Jesus could barely walk. He couldn't carry his own cross. He fell over in the Garden of Gethsemane and his disciples and his friends are sleeping. Is Jesus not as, is he not as, you know, spiritually astute as Christopher Love. Jesus' death is doing something that our deaths are not doing. Jesus' death is taking the wrath of God. This is propitiation. This is propitiation. Jesus is standing in the way of our consequence. And the reason I say it is because the Bible says it, and the reason I think it's helpful to know this is because it drives the point home. Forgiveness of sin does not mean sin is cheap. Forgiveness of sin is the greatest news on the planet so we can be with God forever, but it does not come at a cheap price. It's not a mulligan. It's not a do-over. You don't just get to sin so you're closer with God so that grace may abound. The reason I titled this talk, this message here, that the wholeness is God's goodness is because here, as we close out, verse 26, God is displaying his goodness at the cross. So you could swing it both ways. God is displaying, I am just. I care about sin. I'm so perfect, you have no idea how angry I am at sin. And I'm not just going to let it go. I am just. I will put it on my son. I will put it on someone else to display my love. It's not just or love. It's not justice or love. It's perfect love and perfect justice at the cross. It's both. It's wholeness. His whole essence is drawing a people to himself to display his love. And his perfect justice. And we could go on and on about what that means and how we live our lives. And I haven't, I haven't gone there much. Like, it matters what we do. There's a doctrine of sanctification. Like, we should be doing right things. Don't hear this message and say, it doesn't matter what we do. God put his wrath on his son because it does matter what we do. We'll close with the last verse here. Verse 26. It was what? It was why, why is all this happening? The history of humanity and the most important verse and the most important day in all of human history, it was to show his righteousness, to display his righteousness. There's something good about goodness being displayed. And we pervert it. And we bring our case to our loved ones and say, this is why I'm right. I will now show you. And God does the same thing, except he's right in doing it. He's the most valuable. He's the most perfect He's the most righteous, and he will display his righteousness in a different way than we do. We look to the scoreboard, we point to the scoreboard, we show what we've done, and he says, I will display. It was to show his righteousness at the right time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. We'll close there. But let us take the rest of our lives To contemplate, what does it mean to be just and the justifier? This is the single verse for me that shows Jesus is God. He's not just another martyr. He's not Christopher Love. Jesus is God. It doesn't say it was to show his righteousness so that God may be just. And Jesus helped us with that so that he, God, triune God, may be just and the justifier. He's doing it all from start to finish on the cross. This is our Christian faith. There's gravity and there's gladness. There's such good news in here. And it comes with a price. Let me pray and we'll be done here before our last songs. God, thank you for everything you've done. Thank you for being a whole God. I pray that we would not chop you in half. Thank you for giving us your word, as you can be so much clearer in your word than we are with our own words. I pray that we would take this for what it is, God, which is uh, your design to show your love and invite people into a relationship with you, God. I pray that we would take this into our relationships and see that your design is better than our design. Amen.